Hey everyone, it's Damien. Uh, Turn It Up Punk Footnotes is going to start shortly, as always. But I just noticed as I was putting this episode together, some really tragic news, and I have to say, rest in peace to Sean Elliott, the singer of Capitalist Casualties, one of my favorite bands of all time, one of my favorite vocalists. Um, very sad to hear about his passing. We'll have more details next week, but couldn't let that go unnoticed until next week. Thank you, everyone. Here's Turn Out of Punk Footnotes. Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is that record collecting and oh so arresting Chris O'Toole. <laughs> Chris, how you doing, buddy? Good. Quite the intro again this week. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling what's I'm going feeling, on. I'm feeling a little bit saucy. My kids are up at 4 a.m. today, so we're Ooh. recording this a little bit later tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, woo! Let's do this. I've had a bunch of teas, so I'm I'm feeling amped. Hey, we're ready. How are we're you ready doing? to do it? Good, good. I think you should get your plugs out of the way first because we always seem to forget them lately. Oh yeah. So first of all, if you would like to get in touch with uh, myself or this podcast, I should say the best way to do that is by writing an email to turn out a punk foot. Oh, sorry, turn out a punk podcast at gmail dot com. If you want to find me on social media, I'm at Left for Damien on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat, but I don't really use the Snapchat one. Uh, and uh, the best way to support this podcast is by writing a review or rating it on iTunes. And thank you to everyone that does that. That really makes my day when I get a, a notification that someone's done that. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, that, that, that's or just tell your friends about the podcast. It's another way to support it. Find us on Facebook. Facebook page is done by my brother uh, and friend of Chris's and uh, show producer of the podcast, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. And that's about it, Chris. Anything I'm forgetting? I think I think I got all uh, vans. Yep, to reach us to that's reach it. us here, yeah. Turn out a punk pot footnotes at gmail.com. Pardon me. And yeah, sorry, continue. No, that's it. That's all I got to say. And then, um, uh, and also, uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. I'm excited about, all right. Excited about the show tonight. We got, we got a good show. It is quite the, quite the guest. So I'm sure we'll get into some things here. I am expecting you to lead the way on some of the, uh, the records that I don't own that we're going to discuss tonight, but yeah, for sure. I'm excited. Well, like he's someone who, uh, admittedly, up until Jonah, once again, another mutual friend of ours and drummer of my band, Fucked Up, and, uh, well, you've played in Fucked Up as well, Chris, but, I mean, he's, he's also <laughs> someone who's played with you in other projects yeah, yeah. as well, um, and a friend of yours, but he he's the guy that hit me to kind of, like, the genius that is the only ones. Like, I, I had the early singles. Like, I had the first single, which I bought. Uh, early into my record record collecting days and i knew about another girl another planet but it's like when you go into the the sort of second third record it's like wow that's when you're like oh shit this guy's this guy's one of the greats well yeah and it's weird like we were discussing last week like admittedly somehow weirdly enough i i'm not terrible like i wasn't familiar really with the only ones or him all that much but 
upon hearing it. I did know that song, by the way. Uh, I didn't think I did, but once I heard it, I was like, yeah, okay, I know this song. Mm-hmm. Not from Blink, I, not from Blink either, not to try and throw shade, but I just, I, I've heard, heard it well, as it Blink turned out. But um, apparently, yeah, I don't know on what, what, but it's when you look when you look it up on the resource, it's got that whatever that mention. Blink One Eight Two covers that song. Yeah, apparently. Who yeah. sings it? Is it Mark or Tom? I can't imagine <laughs> what would be a better case scenario <laughs> for that. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question. I'm sure it'd probably be easy to find the proof of who it is. But um, regardless, uh, the the first LP I also heard a bit of, and I, I quite like it. But I could hear right away the influence on people I've liked that have come since. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very clear that he set like a template that I think some people have, if not outright bit from, certainly borrowed quite heavily from uh, the vibe of. And not just in a general like punk rock or proto-punk sense, or however you want to classify it. Um, just like even in his delivery, his cadence and everything, you hear a lot of of people in that, which again, it's I, I always like hearing, uh, of course, people who sort of did it first or whatever, or did it earlier. So mm-hmm. I, I know I'm going to love a lot of these records. But the first one, that self-titled one, which I've heard of so far, like the most of, is, is a great record. Yeah, like definitely, as I said, one of my top top 10 English songwriters of all time. Um, and one of those, yep. one of those guys that, uh, as you say, kind of like built an archetype, which, um, a lot of people ape and was there like a survivor, like God, he played with Johnny thunders and he played with Pete Doherty, you know, Doherty. Yep. Do- Doherty. I don't know. I always say Doherty. I don't really know how okay. it's pronounced. If okay. there's a different, uh, Anglo via North American, translation okay. issue there or whatever okay but anyway yeah. that, like you know but he played with both of them you know like in and it's yeah well in the latter the, the latter specifically i hear it majorly in which is something that you know it makes a lot of sense because I, I i'm a big fan of the latter too so to now kind of realize like whoa where did like where did this come from and it's like aha yes there was an originator which was <laughs> liberally uh, you know, whatever. Given an homage, I would say, politely. Well, and I had a last-minute phone call today with former guest Greg Dick, and he's contributed some footnotes that we'll bring up during the actual footnotes section of this Peter uh, Pret episode because there is some cool stuff. Well, not cool necessarily, but certainly interesting stuff that comes up in his life, including with the aforementioned Pete Doherty. Um, gotcha. Uh, Fair but, enough. Yeah, we'll get into that. We'll get into that uh, later on. We get into the footnotes. But before that, we got to get into the news <clears throat> that you can use. Uh, Chris, do we have uh, news? Well, the news, which I believe the, the since we've, well, we were discussing pre-show, but uh, we certainly need to discuss the idea, uh, not even the idea. Wait, this just seven breaking in, Chris, has... sorry, before, oh, before we oh, get to the oh. big headline. Uh, yet last night, front row at SmackDown, Jesse Michaels, <laughs> lead singer of Operation Ivy, um, was there during it. I'm going to speculate here that his ticket hookup, <clears throat> because those are, those are not easy tickets to get, and certainly not cheap tickets to get. Not saying that Jesse Michaels can't afford them off those energy royalty <laughs> checks because that is, you know, one of the biggest selling records ever in lookout history. 
I wonder <laughs> who has the rights to that currently. That's a great question. I don't know. Has um, anyone reissued any of the Lookout stuff? I don't know. Yeah, no, there's a whole bunch of it's shown up on other labels at this point, but uh, I wonder what not, that one Not was. one source, yeah. Um, because that, that record, I remember when I went to Lookout Records back in the day, they showed me a printout of the top-selling records on Mortem Distribution, and that was, like, number one, and they were like, yeah, it's been number one since it came out, basically, in, like, 89. Hmm. <laughs> Well, it is funny you mention that because it, even people I remember, you know, uh, ages and ages ago, like getting into like punk sort of, uh, let's just say who maybe didn't stick with it or even just at the time you could tell were just not really heavily into it. But that was still a band that, that translated through, I think, in the era of Rancid, especially like the Operation Ivy, people knew of that connection and all that. So I think those records probably also did very well in the wake of that them getting big. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like they are, but even like not so just for that reason. Huge. To be fair, yeah. Like I think that's yeah, yeah. I think that's the reason Rancid was big out of the gate. Not to say that Rancid wasn't big on their own merit, but like yeah, out of the gate, I think like a lot of the reason people were so into them or excited about them was because of the popularity of you know Op Ivy. Uh, I guess Hellcat slash Rancid Records now owns the rights to. Uh, the energy release or the Operation Ivy catalog, but man, it's, you got to think that's due for a reissue. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I'm actually amazed. Well, again, maybe it has. I, I don't pay super close attention to Op Ivy stuff, but um, it does strike me as bizarre that I, you know, in the era, especially now of especially vinyl reissues, that that has not. Like, oh, 2015, been a, they did one on Hellcat. Well, there we go. See. We don't know. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Came out in so 2015 on smoke-colored vinyl. Uh, you know, one one of the copies of this would cost you as much as an original, which always boggles my mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. When something like that happens. Um, well, uh, yeah. Well, is it? Uh, isn't that the 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 sell is that the that the reissues are better, right? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, well, that's that's my, that's my nerd humor kicking in. There we go. Oh, and this one was exclusively available through Hot Topic. But oh, anyway, well. back to the breaking news. Um, I'm pretty sure <laughs> his ticket plug hookup would be Sami Zayn, who <laughs> has a logo which looks kind of like a modified Operation Ivy skanking guy, and definitely has an Operation Ivy tattoo. And, uh, <laughs> you know, is, 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 uh, in, in comes the ring skanking. <laughs> You're gotta be kidding me. No, no, I'm this not surreal, dude. I'm not kidding. And he's See, like one I think of the that's... best wrestlers in the world. Like, and he's, um, um, he's fucking amazing. I think what's funny is if you were, you could literally describe to me any ridiculous scenario and I would just believe it because I don't know anything about the world of wrestling anymore, but that, that sounded like, like not real. I know. (laughs) That's why. Why do you think I would, I couldn't wait to tell you it like that, Chris. And he's a bad guy too, which is like (laughs) kind of perfect because if you had some guy skanking (laughs) to the ring to ska, you kind of want to see that guy get, get his ass handed to him at the end of the night. <laughs> I'm just kidding on that one. I'm just kidding on that one. <laughs> what I find funny, though, is that it wouldn't seem in line with uh, you know the disposition of a wrestler to be so into Op Ivy but be a bad guy. It seems like the Op Ivy guy should be the good guy. 
Dude, the Punk Wrestling Connection runs so deep. He was a good guy, actually. He's actually, to be honest with you, the greatest babyface of this generation. Like, he can he can work <laughs> magic. He can get you behind him uh, in a major way through his physical charisma. He is he is next level. But, like, there's, there's this guy, Sami Zayn, obviously, you know, hugely popular wrestler, Skanks of the Ring. There's Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryan, who made his return to the ring last night, who used fucked up his entrance music twice, right, on HDNet. <laughs> the greatest wrestler of our generation, period. Period. There's also Jimmy Jacobs, the emo princess. There's Jimmy Havoc, Danny Havoc, Jessica Havoc, all of uh, Davy Havoc's children. Um, you know, like... I don't want to hear any bullshit from any Ian Mackay or any, you know, <laughs> Tom, Dick, or anyone, Mary, whatever, about <laughs> anything but wrestling being the most punk-adjacent physical activity. <laughs> well, what I do find funny is I think it's becoming more prevalent. I, I, I'm going to officially credit and blame you simultaneously for that. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, like I've been seeing more of these things, not just because of you either, but just like in my life, it'll be, you know, someone who likes punk will bring up wrestling. It just like it just never ends. And I think it's just because, uh, like I said, I, I'm blaming you lately for it. I think it, you're you're really spurring it on, which I think will be a compliment to you for sure. It's like name another sport where you can find athletes where you can talk about uh, swankies with or you can talk about, you know, like, um, you know, like, uh, I, I can't even remember who I was texting Robbie Brookside about some like super obscure British bands this week. Uh, you know, but like I can name any punk band and there's a wrestler that I could talk to someone, uh, talk to that band, uh, with, you know, or talk about that band with, I, I can't do that with other sports. Like, you know, you're like, Oh, well, Scott Radinsky in baseball or that straight edge pitcher from a couple years ago that hung out with Toby from H2O <laughs> And, uh, and I think, uh, Chad from new fan glory, but like, you know, but that's really it, you know, I don't know if there's any Japanese baseball players that are listening to like Gizem. That's actually, that would be interesting. Yeah. I obviously I don't know enough about like Japanese sport period, but like, well, uh, let me tell you about the yeah, Japanese that... wrestlers that do. Because I can tell you about oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, do you know anything? I do. I've heard it, yes. <laughs> well, we'll leave it at that. This segment's, yeah, this segment's for Tristan. If you're listening, Tristan, this has all been for you, buddy. This is all you. There we go. Okay, well, let's get back into the uh, actual... Uh, sorry, that was the breaking news. Turn into punk news. I like, I like the way you cued that up, though. You definitely sabotaged me there, and it was very well done. Well played. Well, <laughs> I had to, Chris. It was breaking news. <clears throat> we had to get to it off the top. Uh, I'm sorry, because yep. you were saying. Sorry, let's get to the, the headlines. Well, we were discussing the uh, announcement that 7 Seconds has formally called it a day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, of course, legendary group. And uh, their early work, you put up something about it, mm -hmm. which I thought was very apt. Um, but I, yeah, it's one of those things where when I saw the news at first, I was worried because I was seeing kind of the, whatever, like a, a number of different people talking about it. And I assume the worst because I have a, I'm a terrible pessimist, but also in 20, you know, 18, I just assume when people talk a lot on the internet, it's going to be tragic news. I was hoping someone hadn't passed and thankfully they didn't. But, um, yeah, so 
it made me uh, think of a little bit about though what like that seven seconds were one of those bands initially for me and i do for me they were i think they were one of those whatever one of the five original bands for me that really kind of shaped my um whatever you want to say the sonic template upon which i sort of uh got into like proper hardcore punk on if you will mm-hmm. for me too i think they're like one of those bands that you know and i put this up on 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 social media type stuff but they're one of those bands that like you know put out the songs that like spoke to what you felt as a young person getting into this music um and yeah. and they were positive in a way that like minor threat wasn't black flag wasn't like you know, Youth of the Day was, but also kind of wasn't, you know? I was thinking about this. Is Trust the greatest hardcore love song ever written? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you bring, like, how how do you even think of this stuff, honestly? <laughs> well, I was thinking um, about this last night, just because I never stopped thinking about this stuff. <laughs> I was thinking clearly, about this last yeah, night clearly. in bed. I'm like, it's Trust. <laughs> The greatest, because I was like, <laughs> what are some other great hardcore, and not punk, obviously, because I'm, I'm talking about specifically, like, you know, hardcore, but like, hardcore love songs. Hmm. Yeah, see, that's Descendant. a tough, that's a, that's a diff, yeah, sure. There's, that's a difficult one, though, because I don't think, you know, the genre lends to that well. So... I, I do think one struggles to find those. Actually, that would be a great uh, whatever. If people want to write in with suggestions, I'm more than welcome to hear them. But uh, for the most part, I don't expect that. I expect like, you know, songs about, you know, <laughs> I don't know, the police or like backstabbing yeah. friends or whatever you want to say. And, and there's nothing wrong with those sort of whatever, that, that sort of uh, cliche, if you will. But yeah, I don't know. It, it's difficult. I can't think offhand of any great like punk hardcore love songs, but uh, I'm sure they're there. I don't ever think of them because that's not what I tend to go to on that. Like in that emotional range, I'm not looking at hardcore punk for that. So those are kind of songs that don't really stand out to me. But yes, trust is a very good one. That's a good point. Perhaps there are no better. I, I can't think of any other better. Well, you also think about songs like it's not just boys fun, you know, and like how, inclusive yep. Yep. and progressive that was in a scene that pays a lot of lip service to being inclusive and progressive. But mm-hmm. as anyone that's been around, it knows can be equally as regressive as anywhere else in this world. Yeah. Another thing I just thought of here, because when you mentioned that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's on this too. Uh, I just want to confirm that it is. Oh, it isn't. But yeah, I do remember that. Oh, no, sorry. I'm looking at the wrong track list in here. Yeah, it is on it. Um, one of the early things of theirs that I got into, um, well, not early by their standards, but early by my standards, the mid-90s, I had the uh, 7 Seconds Youth Brigade flip side number 5 video oh, yeah. Yeah. on uh, whatever VHS, which I lent uh, <laughs> uh, quite readily to other friends. And it was like uh, I, had a, I had a mini video collection at the time, I guess. But anyway, that seven seconds footage is great, of course, as is the Youth Brigade, um, the, the Canadian Youth Brigade or whatever, Canadian Can-Am Youth Brigade, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, Not Just Boys Fun on that's great. Even the uh, – what's the song? Is it called Boys in Blue? I always get the oh the, stuff. Yeah, the cops. Well, isn't that also on a Mystic Comp? 
It might be, but just in general, like that song, like, yeah. like the, the, what I'm going to say is like, so there's two ways of looking at it for me, of course, phenomenally legendary band, completely deserving of, of being put in certainly of the hall of fame that you've proposed. Yeah. And no, definitely, definitely like for not like first ballot. No, no, uh, whatever they're straight in. But, um, if we're talking about hardcore, for me, I w- if we're talking about a hardcore hall of fame, honestly, I would say, yeah, they would be in there. Poison idea. Black Flag, DOA, like these are like bands. Minor that, Threat. Minor yep. Threat, like that you just kind of think. Bad Brains, of course. Bad Brains, of course, yes. but like a Big Boys, that you're just like, you know, these are the bands that like kind of laid a foundation, um, you know, that, that uh, a lot of other bands were able to kind of follow. <clears throat> yeah, I think um, with Seven Seconds for a lot of people, it seems, um, Seven Seconds because they lasted so long, I think people even including myself, I, I disassociate from, I almost disassociate eras. So for me, because I am sort of the, a rigid purist, I tend to like go from like, you know, walk together or the crew. I'm not really, there's some okay moments, a new win, but I, I'm not huge into the latter stuff. Um, but the first thing I, I think I got that showed me that early stuff was weirdly enough that uh, old school comp on Headhunter, mm-hmm. which has, I don't even know what, is that just the seven inches? I can't remember. I think it's the seven inches, right? Uh, like it's like the yeah. It it's super seven inches, three seven inches. Yeah. Anyway, it's super sick. Looks amazing, and uh, yeah, just like so. Those are the those are the records that I have the affinity for, and because I like that sort of whatever early American hardcore thing as my sort of go to. But um, yeah, of course, you mentioned the Committed for Life. It's exceptional. Skin's Brains Guts, like, I don't know, one of the best-looking hardcore records ever. Also great. Um, See, this is my argument that I've had a lot with people, and it's normally, like, older punk people, uh, you know, in addition to which version of Crucified is better. This is the <laughs> debate, which is which seven second seven inches better between Skin's Brains, Guts, or Committed for Life. I say Committed for Life, <laughs> but a lot of people are like, no, that's when they stopped being a hardcore band and started being more, or they stopped being a punk band and started being more of a hardcore band. That's a good question. I like them both. I can't think of any that I like like outright more than the other. Uh, Committed for Life is amazing, though. That yeah, song, I don't know. It's like that song for me is like, oh, that holds such a special place, you know? Like that's like, yeah, that's like what a man when a man loves a woman was for my parents. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna fight. We're gonna fights on uh, on Skins Rain. So that's a hard one. I love that song, but for me, weirdly enough, I normally would be a, a you know go to the seven inches on this over the LPs, but the crew is the one for the me crew, that yeah. always I yeah. think of. And I don't know, man, that record, like someone put up a funny thing I read today and I believe they're referencing this album and they said something about, it was someone mentioning that there's, there's not a drum roll on the record. Like it's just straight up. Like the drummer does not do a drum roll on this record. Wow. I, I think they're referencing the crew, but it may be, it may be walked together, but I believe it's the crew. And I think that was one of those things, like, when I first heard this, I just couldn't believe it was, like, song, 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 like, like so fast and just so, like, straightforward. Now, again, I haven't heard it in a, in, in a bit, actually, but, um, so I can't, really, in reference to how fast some other things are, perhaps my, my uh, whatever, frame of reference has changed, but the, uh, I, lo- I love this LP, I think it's great, I still don't own an original, sadly, but, um, 
Yeah, I don't own an original, I realize now, too. I have the blue version, not the red version. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's just a great record. I think so for me the the I think the problem for people like me with this group as far as taking bands for granted is concerned and their legacies is that you know this was one of the first bands I got into. So by the time I started getting into deeper things, it's not that I didn't think this band was as good. Certainly they've I've always thought they were as good, but uh I just became more enamored with groups that were, you know, a little harder or a little more obscure or what have you. But I, I can never deny that, you know, like like I said, these specific records, like Walk Together the Crew, first two seven inches. Uh I like well I like a bit of New Wind, although it is like that whatever directional change, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um and even like, you know, like I don't really hang with the late stuff, but I remember when the music The Message came out, even though it's on a major label, I was kind of like happy at the time because <laughs> it seemed like a return to form. But yeah. And and you, that's one of those bands that you always hear it, like you know, I always hear good stories about you know them coming to town, being cool, being good people. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and it's like it's rare that you have that and it's also unfortunately, but it's also rare that you have you know these bands that were there like man, they were fucking there in 82. Like Alternative Tentacles put out their first 7 inches one of their first releases that weren't Dead Kennedys. You know, it's like Yep. Mhm. They they were like they were there on BYO. Like they're like they that crew record probably sold like, you know, tens of thousands of copies. Like they were they were that band and they they survived. Like they were the band that gave youth today their shot that time on stage when they let Ray get up there and sing trust. And then, you know, like they're, they, they were that band they're, and they're that band when they fucking, you know, play with fucked up and they, you know, like dedicated to come into life to me. And like, you know, it's like, <laughs> that's amazing by the way. Well, it's just like, it's just like that's, and the fact that they were that band, you could still see them. Like it, there were no other bands DOA. Maybe that's the other one. And I know like, and I'm just as guilty as anyone else in this punk rock world of doing this, but I, like you take this shit for granted, and then when it's gone, it's like, ah, oh, damn, I should have seen it yeah. more. Like I only got to see him twice. Well, yeah, well, here's you want to blowing your mind even more. I never saw them. I had opportunities to see them within the last. I'm so bad with time. It's going to be within the last eight to ten years at Chris, some point. It was I that can't greatest warp tour yeah. that you missed. No, no, I had, I had a chance to see them outside of Warped Tour even. They they played uh, certainly Buffalo within the last decade, and I, I considered going and for whatever reason didn't. Now, of course, I regret it. No, but I, yeah, I wanted to that, hear... It's that you could have seen the Black Eyed Peas, you could have seen Eminem, <laughs> you could have seen Scarhead, and you yeah, could have seen yeah. Seven well, Seconds. I like Scarhead. Yeah. It's like one uh, yeah, show. So the last two I'm good. <laughs> the last two I'm good with. The, the others I'm not so. But... um. But yeah, like point being, I never saw them because for me, like a lot of times with me, it's like if a group is not within a certain window, I sort of don't see a point to seeing them at it, to a degree. But I did always, you know, admittedly, I did always want to see these songs live, like especially those early ones. And I knew I would have been into it regardless of time period or whatever. But um, yeah, great band. Great, great, great band. Yeah, a great band. And uh, yeah, it's like... You know, a band that unfortunately people, um, you know, might, won't get a chance to see anymore. So, uh, pour one out, do a dab, uh, <laughs> for seven seconds. 
Yeah. No, put that's football. Very put football makeup on your face. Put football uh, makeup on your face. Yeah. The uh, the other thing I want to say in in closing here, uh, at, they have a suck. great logo. Sports suck. No, I don't agree with that, but uh, I do like the song. Um, but uh, they have a great logo in the finest traditions of early early American hardcore bands. They're one of the ones that has one of those really great logos. Yeah. Very, very uh, and. If you look on the resource, what's more astounding when I'm looking at their actually dis- their actual discography is like how many labels they were on. You know what I mean? Like how many hardcore bands do you have? Alternative Tentacles, BYO, Giant, Restless, Headhunter, Epic, Immortal, <laughs> Destiny, Side One Dummy, Rise. Like it's crazy how many labels this band was on when you think about that. <laughs> and and I, I wonder... I wonder if even the the sick of it alls or the you know the bands that have had that longevity and maybe had some of those I, I don't even think they've been on as many labels as this. Yeah, like sick of it all would be the one that I think maybe has been on a bunch of labels, but like you're right, like this is an, an impressive array of of people that have put out seven seconds of material over the years, and like you know, like you go to their compilations, <laughs> like how many how many crazy comps were they on? Like they were definitely on that that Pusmort comp. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, where is that? Is that under, under appearances? It is. Yeah. It's on the cleanse of bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. Mystic. On. They're okay. Yeah. They've got. They're on. Uh, they're on. Not so quiet on the Western Front. They're on. We got the power. They're on something to believe in. They're on cleanse of bacteria. Like those are like four of the big cops. Yeah. It's that's exactly right. Even that, actually, even just talking about the comp appearances alone says a lot. But <clears throat> yeah, regardless, epic, epic group. I actually am shocked that you've never had any of them on. Now that I think about I it, I know we got to get. I, I would love to have Kevin Seconds on and yeah, get to uh, you know that. I'm sure. Hopefully, will happen one day. You know. Yeah, for sure. I'm uh, now that we got Tristan, <laughs> we got my my brother show booking. You know that they, yeah. like. We're on a run, Chris. We're on a run of good guests. I know, I know, I know. I think we did them justice, though. That that seven second segment, I think, was well worth it. And uh, yeah, all due respect or much respect, pardon me. I'm uh, yeah, I'm kind of sad I never saw them. Okay, Bummer. let's let's crack open this mailbag and try and try and pour through this pretty quick because we don't. We always okay. seem like we run out of time for the actual episode. <laughs> okay, so first. Uh, mail to get to here entitled John Reese episode from I don't even know how to say this this name R. Spencer I'm just going to say how's that anyway um, love the podcast thanks for all the effort that we both put in you're welcome more so Damien than me Um, but yeah uh, he mentions that uh, that's a lot to put up with (laughs) <laughs> I meant for you for the the OG like the the original imprint which is where the work actually gets put in is what I argue. Um <clears throat> excuse me. Continuing with the email though. Uh since I know you guys love connections between bands and different scenes within a city, check out and he provides a link here, but it says the intro to the pitchfork footage with John Reese hamming it up with young punks outside of the La Paloma Theater when they opened for Fugazi in 91. The cast of characters there includes a very young Justin Pearson, Jose Palafox, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, um, from Struggle, Swing Kids, Locust, Bread and Circuses, respectively, uh, hilarious footage. And it also got mentioned briefly 
Uh, but if you ever get to do a part two, it'd be interesting, an interesting question, pardon me, of how much contact John and Drive Like Jehu had with the emerging gravity record scene uh, in the early 90s, and perhaps later on with 3-1-G and those bands as well, um, since they were all in the same city. And sonically, I'd say they there was some considerable common ground between them, at least especially with the early gravity stuff. And uh, yeah, so there we have it. That's the email. Oh, sorry, and you know, it mentions here, pardon me, I forget, left out that Mario... Mario from Click Clat. I don't know this band, Click so I don't know how to pronounce Kitawi. it. There we go. That's how you pronounce it. Uh, you, would you years later Chris, play? Will, that is a Chris O'Toole band that I think uh, you will <laughs> love. Okay. Anyway, would years later play in Hot Snakes and Rocket uh, as well? And so off. So there's a connection also there. And off. Okay. There we go. Anyway, um, David. Yeah, great email. Thank awesome. you. Because this is exactly the kind of stuff that we like to speculate and nerd out on. Yeah. Like I think. I tried to touch on this a little bit with them because this to me is is really interesting. Like San Diego has never really felt like a very big city when I've been there. Have you ever been there, Chris? Same, yeah, a few times, but yeah, I agree. That's um, the feel I get too. Yeah, it feels very spread out and stuff like that. So it's, you know, like, and there's not a huge number of clubs in my experience to play. So I imagine all this stuff would have been rubbing shoulders with each other. And it's like then you also add to it the dragons kind of like rock and roll scene. And then you add to it also the blink One Eighty Two scene. It's like, wow, that's a weird, that's a weird and, town. And I think if I'm not, am I not mist- I think I feel like I'm mistaken now that I'm thinking about it, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Did Tang not relocate there too? Uh, really? Maybe. I'll, I'll double check. I might be wrong. I thought Tang relocated there, but I could be wrong. Let's look it up. Anyway, continue. No, to me, it's just always been, like, real fascinating that all this stuff existed. And it's like, you know, they're close, like, especially the gravity scene and the drive like Jehu scene. But you wonder how much overlap and how much interaction there would have been between all these kind of, like, disparate worlds that went on to have huge, huge ripple effects in punk. I agree. And yes, at least as far as the mailing address currently for Tang, presently, it is San Diego. Okay. And from what I know, it's I think it's been there for some time. So I don't know when it moved, but I believe it was like as long as I can remember, it's been there. But, I went to so, the store when they were in L.A. back when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? On the uh, infamous meeting Johnny Ramone trip that I've talked about on here before. <laughs> nice, yeah. I can't remember if it was at that store or another store that I bought the uh, No For An Answer 7-inch. Nice. It was like, that was like the biggest thing for me. I'm like, I fucking got this. I can stop collecting records now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Nope. Nope. <laughs> That's not happening. Nope. Um, yeah, but it's yeah. great email. No, I was just going to say great email. I, I'm curious of those connections myself, if if any, beyond what was mentioned of the... Uh, Mario played in both those bands with John, clearly. But, um, yeah, you're right. It does seem to me like there should be, you know, whatever, more history there that I'm not aware of. But, uh, anyway, very That's, cool. Th- there's a lot to get to in part two. Like, we need to talk about Gigi Allen. <laughs> True. You know, John, I think John will be coming back for part two real soon. And, by the way, I didn't talk about this off the top, but I've now done these playlists for every episode. Like I'm gonna, not every episode yet, but I'm going to be doing them for every episode eventually. I think 
but I've certainly done them for the most recent episodes, and you can find them on Spotify, because that's the only streaming service I have access to right now, but I'm probably going to try and put them up on other streaming services, but um, yeah, it's got a, a whole kind of array of bands that John talked about. Nice. Um, Very cool. Yeah, it's been. It, they're super fun to put together. These things. <coughs> Excuse me. I think the one. For All right. Jack Black next no, week sorry. is the most diverse mixtape I've ever. <laughs> nice. All right. On to the next email. Since we're going to try and get through them. Subject: Hit them up. Sender: uh, Dan M. It says. Anyway, love the podcast, uh, especially footnotes. Oh, you're too kind, Dan. Thank you. Um, likes that we're back uh he's very very amused by you using the phrase in reference to of course the very infamous tupac uh song hit him up or diss song more importantly beef song um he seriously could not stop laughing that two canadian white dudes on a punk obsessed podcast really have no business relating to tupac and the outlaws <laughs> but uh anyway he says my suggestion is that you guys record a diss track directed at the daves you could call yourself something like dame i am and the otooligans uh, i love that you use that by the way i'm going to pause the email right here he used the otooligans which i hope is a reference to the hooligans w-h-o-o uh elegance oh, sorry elegant hooligans i should say um which is a one of uh, like a weird kind of like uh, obscure '90s hip hop reference or semi obscure, psyched on that. Anyway, uh, the song could be titled "Dave 'Em Up" or "I Got 99 Seven Inches and Zero to Suicidal Ain't One." Maybe even call the Insane Clown Posse. Then Damien could have his dream of linking ICP to punk rock. There you go. That's the message, Damien. Your thoughts? Um, I think uh, I, I think you don't want to hear Chris and I rap. <laughs> but uh i can confirm that yeah i think i i was gonna say hit him up though that's that's like a, a reference that i think is that should just be in your quiver you know like that's one of those things that if you're gonna be like pop culture savvy or music savvy hit him up mm-hmm. i would say is the most uh you know like that's like the archetype of the venomous diss track like obviously there's shit before that but that yeah. is like the harshest diss track. Yeah, it's pretty harsh. Um, of course, you know. So ether and stuff you know, came later, and stuff like that. And like, ether and stuff came later. But but the two references, like you're saying, exactly. Like who shot you and hit him up. Now, if I can give you and I, Damien and I, any credit here, I'm going to say that you're not talking to your average folks. Like we know a thing or two about some rap music. So let's just be clear. Yeah, on that but as I would well. say hit him up so, is something that everyone <laughs> should know. I agree. Like, I do agree with you. Yeah. That's like the, uh, you know, that's 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 the uh, that's like the 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 ultimate beginning. Like that's that's the apex diss track. Yeah. Again, I'm psyched that so he harsh. named you after after Will I Am, and he named me after the Hooligans. I just that was wanna, so harsh. I just want to. <coughs> Excuse that me. That was that was a diss in itself. You're not aware of that, anyway. Thanks. Dan. No, I got I got that diss. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just, though I will say the Black Eyed Peas at the Warp Tour that you missed was sick. <laughs> of course they were. How crazy is it that okay. we could have potentially, if things had gone down differently, out of that Warp Tour, had a collaborative Scarhead, Ice T, Eminem, Black Eyed Peas, Posse Cut. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, um, that would be something. <laughs> I don't Dude, know if that I'd would have been. I probably would. I'd want to hear it once. Oh no, you I'd wouldn't hear. It yeah, right. Yeah, it's that's like <laughs> that's like that that's like the greatest thing. I feel robbed. We never got that. I do think I do just want to say right now though, because in the list of artists you present there, I do want to like like adamantly say here that I really enjoy Scarhead without any you know any irony at all. I oh, really that's like some Scarhead. Hardest music ever. I made. would not compare them no, to those. Absolutely no. Yeah, I'm I'm like. Yeah. I, I, I definitely like I own I own Scarhead records on vinyl. Um they're definitely <laughs> same, yes. In in that anyway. genre. They are like without a doubt like yes. the ultimate. I just band. want to put it out there that we're not it's not clowning. Like, no, there's no I, clowning on Scarhead. Scarhead. And I'm like saying that, that that to me is just like amazing that there was that confluence of personalities hanging out backstage yes. at the warp tour. With with Kevin I Seconds. Agree. <laughs> and Blink-182 was also yeah. on that Warped Tour, too, now that I think about it. <laughs> okay. Less than Jake, maybe, next too? Less email. than Jake? Okay, next email. I don't know. I can't. Next email. This is an opportunity for, for you to talk about wrestling more, so you'll be psyched. Here we go. It's from Lee D. And it ha- contains a photo that is a T-shirt, which on the front says, Defend Pro Wrestling with a... Uh, some kind of a, a, like a semi-automatic rifle or whatever. Any the or sorry, that's the back, I guess. Front though has the open up your mouth and say, and instead of the motif, which is normally SNFU, of course, for punk fanatics, uh, it says lush, which I think is kind of amazing because when I first saw it, if the wrestling line hadn't been in there, I would have thought this is somehow like the band Lush made this shirt and how bizarre that would have been, but. Uh, a wrestler as it turns out uh from so he saw it at a show in cloverdale bc and it's a wrestler named kenny lush there you go damn you got the floor kenny's the homie kenny's from uh the band Daggermouth. uh someone that i've been talking to forever about coming on the show and will one day be a guest on the show uh but yeah like he's he's someone who's been a independent wrestler for a long time and has always repped punk hardcore and uh legit knows <laughs> probably I, I'm willing to bet Chai Pig so I'm sure that was done with as a loving tribute with yeah some sort of permission type type thing as well because uh, certainly um, yeah like a hardcore kid you know once again further illustration Chris <laughs> it's the most punk adjacent <laughs> physical activity yep. next time I see Ian I, McKay I'm just gonna blast him in the face with facts you just need to, yeah, just keep your like keep a list, and then you can have a further discussion. Uh, I just want to be there because it was really amusing. So I want to, I want to be there hey, for part two. He'll be like, "Hey, man!" I'm blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next message from someone named RS. It said, or from RS, but I believe they. Oh no, never mind. Yeah, RS it is. Anyway, uh, I'm a loyal listener. Turned out a punk. Had to reach out. Uh, he mentions that he was there for the only one show at the Edge in 79, and that Peter may not remember, but he believes the band was held up at the border and didn't arrive until almost is 12 this, midnight. Is, sorry, Chris, I don't mean to interrupt you on this one again, and I do not have any more oh. breaking wrestling news, and this is no more excuse for me to talk <laughs> about wrestling. Um, but um, is this the last email? Yes. Okay, well, let, let's just use this, and let's just get into the body of the show, because this is like something yeah, that... Yeah, perfect. Uh, I think will be perfectly a way to transition into yeah the actual 
body of the show. Because, yeah, this is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we are going to be talking about uh, the Peter Perrette episode. He is, without a doubt, you know, as we said off the top, one of the great songwriters, in in my opinion. Like, I know other people might say, no, this guy's better, this person's better. You know, we've heard some pretty outlandish opinions on this show. Uh, so, you know, um, you know, who am I to account for taste, but for my taste. Uh, and, uh, yeah, like, it was amazing to get to talk to him. He was supposed to be coming here. Did you hear the thing, though, about uh, Doug Hart being the guy that teched the episode for us? You had mentioned it to me, but and and sort of in the interview, it gets sort of a brief mention. But yeah, pretty amazing, <laughs> pretty awesome, pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, it was a, a bit of like technical wrangling to kind of make it happen, but made it happen. And yeah, like what a you know, once again, like someone that <laughs> almost you're overwhelmed. Like you kind of allude to this, you're overwhelmed by his history. You're just like you. He hung out with Lou Reed, you know, like he hung out with Johnny Thunders, like. It's, it's, you know, like, these are like the icons that just are almost beyond reproach because, well, they're not here anymore, I think, um, as well. And so you're just like, and I mean that musically, obviously there's probably some personal things that I certainly don't want to vouch for on anyone's account, but like, as you know, these are the people that you can't get to anymore because they're gone. Yeah. And here's this guy that, you know, hung out with them, worked with them, but anyway, you go on, Chris. No, I think uh, I think that's well stated. I said to you before we started recording, and sort of every time we go into episodes like this, I find it uh, particularly daunting because I don't feel like uh, <laughs> like I don't feel like I can contribute anything greater than what he contributes in the interview itself. Mm -hmm. uh, not that I ever really feel like that upon any interview that we're discussing, to be fair, but. It's just when it's the gravity is so huge. Like like I was talking to you earlier, he he talks about you know seeing Dylan in the '60s and hanging out with Lou Reed and seeing the Velvets and it's just like it's insane. Like I can't even imagine like having that. You know, it's a privilege of age, sure, but the era in which he discusses at length that he was a part of is such a monumental shaper of my whole you know like whatever musical world. Mm -hmm that I couldn't imagine being a part of like a part of it in that era or pr prior even arguably. Yeah. Like I think it's, it's one of these eras that's super fascinating to me because this is where it all comes together. Like this is where punk coalesces and to be where he was, where you're just kind of outside of it, you know, like that's the thing that really comes across is that, you know, he was, he was, as he says, he was older. He was more into like, you know, musical kind of competence than a lot of the people at the time were. And, you know, they eventually would catch up. Like you mentioned seeing the clash later on, how much he dug them in their later incarnation, which believe me, I had to that's bite a my great tongue. talking point. I had to bite that's my tongue talk. on that one, Chris. <laughs> let's, let's, let's parse that for a minute. So that was one of my favorite parts of, of the interview, particularly because anyone who listens to footnotes knows the sort of uh, contentious opinions you hold of, of the clash. But, um, I, in this instance, I'm going to agree with him outright in the sense where I know what he means there. Like, I don't know the exact years. I don't think he's talking about like cut the crap or something, but when, if he's talking about seeing them and they just, them being like a bad live outfit at a certain era, I, I believe that. And then seeing them at their, like their height yeah, and then being actually very good. Like I, I do, like I find that to be accurate, at least from the, 
you know, the documentary things I've seen or whatever over the years that they were at one point, you know, kind of a mess. Actually, to be fair, they were kind of a mess toward the end at points too. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I you thought see that with their was, height. He's talking about, I think, like that New York res- yeah, residency. Exactly. Yeah, and I so I think that like I think that was a fair point. I I, I got what he meant as a clash uh, enthusiast. Uh, you not so much clearly, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, go on. I don't remember what you're saying. But that no, I, I just, topic. I kind of think it's, it's, you know, he's one of these, uh, you know, like it, it's, it's very cool. His position that he had during this era, like to be able to see this stuff that came before and how, what came to be came to be, you know, like how these people kind of fell into place. Like, meeting Malcolm McLaren. Like, it's funny because, like, you know, my dad had been to Let It Rock, you know, and had been to Sex when Sex started happening as a store. But then there was this, like, he's talking about going into it when it was, I forget the name he talks about. But it's like that middle period where it was before, when it was from a Teddy Boy store to this punk store. Yeah. When it was yeah. like this glam store for a minute. Question I have, and I don't, you know, perhaps this shows my ignorance on this. Was involvement of Vivian Westwood or whatever was that strictly sex, or was was the pre was she involved or whatever earlier with the Teddy Boy thing too? I think she's definitely just... involved in, in in some of that Teddy Boy stuff, and certainly in this kind of glam okay. period that I think uh, Peter's talking about. Well, see, that would make sense to me. It's just I don't know. Obviously, not having been there then due to age, <laughs> but, uh, I'm always curious about that exactly who came in when, if people yeah. were going with the flow stylistically, or if there was like a, a definitive, no, this person came along and that was the change aesthetically or whatever you want to say. I would, I would, she's one of my dream guests. Like I would just like, holy shit. Would it be amazing to talk to her about punk and, and kind of find it like, about her kind of journey through it from its dawn, you know, like being one of the people that, that really brought it, you know, like punk had been around for a few years by that point, but like what put it on the map was that aesthetic. And, and she is key in giving that, it, 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 that aesthetic. I agree. Um, I, I also think it's particularly interesting that, um, what I believe to be the biggest, um, perhaps the two, but certainly of all of the aesthetic, uh, whatever you want to say, contributions uh, that were given, that it's uh, two ladies that are responsible for perhaps, for perhaps rather, the greatest of them. If you were to take crass into consideration, you were to take that. Mm-hmm. And thinking of ones that are actually, I mean, bigger, I, I don't, I would argue there aren't. So clearly the contributions, uh, I like that it's not just, and clearly, you know, history says otherwise as well, but it wasn't just a completely male dominated thing. Thank goodness. Anyway. Yeah, no, I think there's, I think there's definitely, you know, like in that early punk scene, you know, Susie and the Banshees, Susie Sue and like, uh, X-ray specs and the slits. And I think X-ray specs weren't, they're like kind of like part of that sort of immediate second wave, I guess. Um, yeah, but you know, like still, like it's there are there are these like incredible you know achievements made by women in spite of the fact that they probably 
we're not necessarily dealing with the most welcoming scene, you know, when you got like <laughs> a dude playing guitar in a band with breasts on his shirt, you know, it might not be the most welcoming place. <laughs> Fair enough. When you sue Cat, but with, that uh, did did go to a show naked one time too. So maybe isn't that a, a shirt though a product of that of that store? I think that was a Vivian Westwood shirt. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah. So, so who knows how? Yeah. Who knows yeah, how that that's was? True. That's true. I don't know if Steve Jones was fully grasping at that point <laughs> and appreciating. You don't think the, he understood the, uh, the? You don't think he really was thinking heavily about intersectionality, things of that nature? Have. No, maybe he could have. Like you know, I don't want to undercut him. Like you know, he wasn't the Raiders. He wasn't like you know, he wasn't like a lot of true, true. So he was definitely hey. woke to musical levels. Yes, fair enough. That was just my, uh, yeah, lame, lame attempt at humor. Go no, on. I understand. No. <laughs> I, I definitely, that was my lame attempt at uh, discussing and analyzing Steve Jones' shirt. <laughs> uh, let's, uh, uh, should, should we get to this email now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll continue. So the email, again, discusses uh, the the listener who wrote in talking about seeing the only ones uh, at the edge in 1979 in Toronto. And he remembers that they showed up late, almost uh, midnight, he writes. Looked like they were in shambles, or in a shambled state, pardon me. Got their gear set up and played a loose short set. He writes that it was a forgettable show, but understandable because of the state they were in. Um and just basically about how he was anticipating the gig that was coming up that uh, in Toronto that, that wasn't able to happen, unfortunately. But uh, he's excited about the show. But I find it interesting that there's one review here from a listener after hearing the interview that uh, essentially says the show was not you know, necessarily uh, the greatest, which is unfortunate to hear. But have you heard any contrary opinion of it? Do you know anyone that well, was there? Was your father there? No, no, no. Uh, I don't think my dad. I don't think my dad would have seen him at that show. But um, it, it's uh, and he kind of alludes to it, Peter, uh, in the interview. Like he was kind of in no shape, you know, and the band was in no shape. And like I talked to Greg Dick today on the phone. He was actually at both shows. Apparently, they played two shows at the Edge. Uh, Greg okay. was telling me, and they were fucked up on PCP. <laughs> Which, oh, okay. Which would make sense coming from, you know, you got to figure the routing was probably Montreal. You know, they probably flew in New York, New York, Boston, Boston, Montreal. Um, and then, you know, which was, which is angel dust country, you know, like there's some angel <laughs> dust that has been known to be I around don't, there. I don't know. Okay. At different times. Well, no, that, that's no word. secret. In, in like the history of Montreal punk rock, PCP is a is a huge thing. You know, there's been, okay. There's been major incidences of, of people dying because of it. Um, gotcha. Okay. Uh, but in this case, it was apparently consumed and allegedly, and that might've led to <laughs> the show being a bit of a shamble. <laughs> anyway, I thought the, the email was perfectly timed based on the interview, of course. And, uh, Greg yeah. said they were great, Good though. Email. Greg liked them. He said they were a shamble, and they they kind of were, like, fall apart. But, like, you know, so were so were the Heartbreakers when you hear some stories about them, you know? Like, it's it's kind of, I guess, part of the allure with a band like this. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I mean, I think sometimes you can catch a train wreck, and it's there's nothing endearing about it. But sometimes 
it can be. There can be something that's pulled off, and perhaps in this case, that's what it was. I think it depends if history makes it endearing, weirdly. Yeah, there's a lot of that, too, to be fair. Yep. You know, like you hear about these shows of Iggy Pop, like, passing out on stage at the end of the set, and just, like, the band finishing the set and leaving him there on the stage, and then the roadies coming and carrying him off. And, you know, like, when you actually think about it, and, like, to be there at the time, there's, like, a level of darkness and tragedy to it. But now to, like, think of it, it's like, oh, that's that's kind of, like, it's so romantic. You know, it's so rock and roll at its peak. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. I, I, I do think that, yeah, the, the legends of these things, there, there's a... Uh, there's a bit of a guilty pleasure to that or what have you for people, sure. But I, I do think that you can see bands that that they're a, they're a pleasant disaster, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, I've experienced that in my life. Not always. I've experienced the terrible ones, too. But um, there are some, you know, whatever, collections of people that for whatever reason, it, it can be a mess and it can work. I don't know how to reference that or, or characterize that in another way, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Greg also made some other me aware of some other things that I wish I had found out about before uh, about the only ones and, and in particular about Peter apparently Peter was there according to the only ones bi- biography with Bon Scott the night before Bon Scott died wow Bon Scott from ACDC like they were hanging out of course yeah uh, and I don't know I, I, I haven't read the book um, but Greg was saying that like yeah like Peter's one of the last people to see Bon alive. Oh, wow. What are, what year did he die in? I can't remember. Let me look this up I now. I 79, right? Because, like, Back in Black, 80 or 81? 80? I don't know. This is a good question. Yeah, 80. Died in 80. February 80. That's nuts. I didn't realize, yeah. And, I, I mean, let's just, uh, you know, sidebar. You know, I'll do respect to later era ACDC, or I guess whatever. <laughs> Not later from 80 forward, I shouldn't say. But, uh, you know, Bon Scott, definitely a superior superior uh, ACDC front man, in my opinion. But anyway. Uh, like it's, yeah, like, you know, I can't, I can't say that. Because we've had this conversation about Black Flag, and I think this is actually kind of like <laughs> uh, analogous to the same thing. Because this is, you know, the same sort of deal for me like brian is my acdc singer you know so really oh well that's the one i grew up on you know like that's well no like, sure we all did and who, made, who yes, was but... my 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 gateway you know like i'm not gonna you know like maximum overdrive and and i remember seeing that and like hearing them on the soundtrack being like this band's fucking amazing and seeing them on the racer's edge tour it was him singing so <laughs> amazing so that's like you saw that tour. That's incredible. Go on. Yeah, the Sky Dome. It was sick. I think Jackal opened, if I remember correctly, um, which was yeah, not as sick, but you know. Didn't uh, they have that song with the chainsaw guy or whatever, whatever the hell the it was called? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there we go. There we go. But ACDC were pretty fucking awesome that night. I bought a ACDC ri- neck, uh, sorry, bracelet. They had the merch band, if I remember correctly. <laughs> nice. um, but like, yeah, like I was a I was a big ACDC fan, but like, and I love Bon Scott, and you know, obviously, I historically understand why he's the superior singer, but yeah. like, the reality is, Brian is our singer. So for me to say like, Keith Morris is the best singer of Black Flag, like, yes, I get it, 
but Henry Rollins is the singer of Black Flag for like the people that grew up with that as their band for the most part. I get what you mean. Sure. Yes. I, I can't argue that. I still, I still don't agree on a level, but yes, I know completely what you're saying. Yeah. I, I concede that point. I can't, I can't give you reasons to why I don't agree with it, but yes, uh, I do think that's a fair assessment. Have you seen Maximum Overdrive, Chris? Yes, of course. Great movie. It's an amazing movie. That's an amazing <clears throat> I bought soundtrack. Razor's Edge when it came out, too. Yeah. With, uh, which is so, oh, definitely not a great record. But yeah. Um, what are you talking about? It's a great record. <laughs> Razor's Edge is not a great it's a record. Great no record. It's a great record. It's a great record. No, it's a great it was a great record to me when I bought it at whatever age that would have been when I came out. But 88. Yeah. Really? That's when it came out? I thought it was in the 90s. Damn. Oh, okay, so I was, I was young. Yeah, definitely not great. But, hey, you know, that uh, Thunder, whatever. Thunder. You know, oh, oh, wow, 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 wow. There you go. You got it. I didn't want to wow, attempt to do wow, that and wow, sound wow, foolish. Wow. <laughs> what about that video, wow. by the way? Anyway, we're Dude, going way everything off about that is so fucking sick like i could imagine if you were saying like oh i don't fuck with uh whatever the one from uh that arnold schwarzenegger movie last action hero like i can get that <laughs> one like not fucking with that song but that thunderstruck is incredible like as an intro like a that is an intro for a song yeah like Thunder. listen i it it's now it's become such Thunder. a uh whatever you want to say, like, like a, almost like a meme or whatever. So I can't, it's hard to take seriously, but yes, when it came out, I was very enamored with Dude, it and I thought it was great. It's um, but that, that record is not good though. There's <laughs> some good songs. Like, is that, does that have, I want it a also mistress came for out, Christmas by song? the way, it came out, it came out in 90 buddy, by the way, just oh, saying 1990. Okay. It was 99 in 1990. Yeah. That's right. Which again, just reaffirms, my point that it is definitely not a good record, but anyway, go it's on. a good record. Wait, what does that change, change anything? It's still a good record. It's no, like definitely, uh, you know, it's better than a lot of stuff that was coming out in '90. Fair enough, sure. Which, I like that we've actually discussed like hard rock the last two weeks pretty extensively. Yeah, I hate this stuff. On this show. <laughs> <laughs> I got into punk because I didn't like this stuff in the end. Uh, yeah. No, but ACDC is kind of a different beast, right? Like ACDC. No, of course, yes. ACDC and they get a pass. A punk band, yeah. They They're, get the permanent pass, even on this terrible record. Yeah. Yeah, they get the permanent pass. They're yeah. like one of those bands that, you know, you just gotta, you gotta love them. There's just something about them, um, and uh, yeah, like it's 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 kind of crazy to think that here's this guy, who once again is with you know arguably the greatest rock vocalist of all time in Bon Scott the last the last night of his life yeah like i don't really understand how that like so were they playing together like why is that happening i i, I you know what i don't know for sure but i'm going to give in say given the the kind of like vibes of the two and given the peter talking about <laughs> what he was like at the time Gotcha, okay. I might have something to do with partying. Gotcha. They were fast friends. I see what you mean. I yes. think it might okay. have been. Maybe they were tight the whole way through, right? Like, they would have been on the ascent, you know, like, 
at the same time as like ACDC was kind of on the ascent. It's like slightly different worlds, be it, but. Gotcha. I have a question for you as a, uh, whatever, as the next talking point. So I'm uh, very curious about the England's glory stuff because I'm not really not Dude, familiar with it. It's do sick. you have any of this? Like, do you have these records? <laughs> no, no, no. Like the, the original is one of the rarest, like that's like one of the top rare English records. The only reason I knew about it is because that's like one of those, like, you know, five star, never going to find it in the Bible records. Um, I think that's in which the one are you talking about there? Which the single you're talking about the LP? No, no, it's not the LP. I don't know where I read it, but maybe I read it in record because you know it wouldn't make sense. The LP was in the Bible, the acetate I'm talking about. Because no, none of these are. Whoa, this is crazy, dude. Yeah, click on the, it. Uh, no, no. What's crazy is just like a sidebar. Hozak Records reissued one of their singles. Oh, weird. Or it's not even a reissue. It's like some kind of a what does it say here? City of Fun. Oh yeah, that's that's on Pre the only ones lost recordings. Yeah, that's on the acid. So they, yeah. So Hozak reissued this in what year? Twenty fourteen. It's an archival release. I guess they have. I didn't realize that an archival thing. Hozak. Anyway, that's cool. So um, it originally is a twelve inch. Uh, so I guess I didn't yeah. read about it in the Bible. Um, I must have read about it in like gold mine or one of those types of things. Yeah. Um, I don't have any of these reissues of it that came out over the years. Uh, Skyclad did one in 91 and then there's, uh, one from 87. Uh, but you can hear this stuff now on all the streaming services and it is, it is fucking amazing. <laughs> it is really good. It does sound like, you know, a lost velvet underground recording. If you're, not hip to the fact that it's not gotcha yeah the uh when you reference the bible too of course i believe you're talking about 45 revolutions yeah, i've 45 had to guess revolutions. is that what you're saying Sorry. yeah as, so as for we call it here the bible yes so for listeners who follow the bible is that 45 revolutions a book it's a very thorough uh <laughs> discography book and the resource we don't have to name what that is but yes yeah so there there's the those are defined terms now you know um it, sorry go on no no i was just gonna say so i'm trying to find this original one i'm seeing this the reissues <coughs> of the 12 inch but i'm not seeing that og one you're click talking on, about click on england's glory for the lp and it's the yeah. first one that comes up from 1973 oh the promo gotcha yeah. Aha. Never sold. Whoo. Okay. No. That's bad news. It's no. bad news for that's that's literally now that's the worst news that you can get. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's either one way or another. It's or not either listed. a record that <laughs> Yeah, well, well those three, but let's just say when it's listed it almost hurts more. Yeah. Because if it says last sold never, it either means one of two things. It means literally no one in the world cares about it. Yeah. Or it means so many people in the world care about it, and you're never. It's never even hit. It's never hit the resource to be sold. Dude, there's only because it 25 gets copies in 1973. Like I, I would say that one is one of the few surviving copies. The the best part is there's only one person who has it. Yeah. I don't even know if they're public. I'm gonna look it up right now, but that person must get hassled like crazy yeah. if they're public. <laughs> anyway, go on. Um, no, I know. Like I wanted to see actually if they were public too, cause I want to hit them up. <laughs> <laughs> <You are. laughs> exactly. uh, this thing's, this exactly thing's amazing. You can hear 
these reissues, of course, on streaming services. So if you have not ever checked out England's Glory, yeah, really recommended. A you know, like it did famously did fool Nick Kent into thinking that he was hearing, um, <laughs> like an original uh, recording of the Velvet Underground. Also crazy that it also features the bass player from Squeeze. Oh, it does. Yeah. Wow. The um. There's also a weird comp here from 2005 released by Diesel Motor Records and it seems to have the 72 and 73 sessions. So yeah, there's a, there's a CD which has it all too, I guess. But yeah. I think that's the one anyway. that must be on the streaming services. Yeah, it could be. No. Yeah. But I think it's kind of wild that I still think it's wild that Hosea got rights to reissue this or whatever. That's I think that's crazy. But I guess if he has the rights, that makes sense. It'd be gettable. Yeah, like I think, you know, I I would imagine he would still have the rights or that they would be somewhat obtainable and it's it's great stuff, you know? Like I'm glad Hozak put that out. Like I kind of want to get that copy of that single. Yeah, it's cool looking too. Good looking record. Um yeah, it's 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 a it's something that is on my want list. Never there you go. get it, but it's on my want list. Um, <laughs> uh, also kind of cool like I wanted to get in this talking point have you looked at that guy Mike Kelly's discography who comes in no. and fires their other drummer which is one of my favorite drummer stories ever <laughs> so what so he he's not the original drummer comes in to do what he comes in he hears them practicing like Peter tells the story on the podcast he like okay, he, sorry. He, he hears them practicing comes in turns to uh, the guy and goes, it's an honor that you got to play with these guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yes, yes. That is a big That is a big move. It's a big move. But have you looked at this guy's discography? I'm looking a bit now. Yeah. Um, it's Kelly with K. VIPs. Yeah, yeah. Spooky Tooth. Yeah. Let me see here. What are you What are you highlighting here? What well, are you excited he, about? He's like, he's like a guy who played with a lot of people. Joe Cocker. I don't see that I mean, on here. Joe, is it Joe Cocker? I think a little later down is there. There's someone. I'm trying to get to it my, now myself. Go to credits. I'm going to look at this. Yeah. There yeah, we go. Joe Cocker. This what, okay. So I'm not, again, you're <laughs> you're you're good at navigating the resource. Okay, I'm not go, as good. Go, yeah, okay. yes, Joe Cocker. Yeah, no, no, I got it now. I'm yeah, you got it. Um, I'm just trying to find who else. This is nuts. Peter Frampton? Dude, what? yeah. Yep. Wow. Yeah, this is bizarre. He uh, he's like and like he played on all those Spooky Tooth records too. He's also on that. Uh, he was also on So Alone. Well, the, the only Thunder ones Strike. are the backing band for So Alone. So it's the whole. Okay, I thought it was just Peter. That's cool. Yeah, it's like I think his like I think the story is Johnny Thunder's kind of came in and was like, "You guys." Well, it makes sense. I mean, they're they were an incredible band. Why wouldn't? He, you know that that would make perfect sense to me. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I always find this era interesting for the people like like this that are in, you know, so to speak, like two worlds or went on to do so many different bizarre things. Mm-hmm. Like again, like the Frampton connections was weird for me, weirder than Joe Cocker perhaps. But um, yeah, anyway, very cool. Yeah, but the Thunder's very, very like cool. 
the Thunder's solo-owned part of this I find very interesting, too. Just that whole, like you said, that they're the backing band and that whole legacy of that record and whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact that he didn't... like, I think he mentions not being too into the... the um, why is the name escaping me right now? The Dolls right away. Does yeah. he not? Yeah, he does. He says he wasn't into them right away, and it makes sense because... You know, he's looking for that <clears throat> Polish kind of vibe. He didn't. I don't think he, he got it at first. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I that like it's just I, I suppose too because of his age, perhaps the dolls would come off a different way. But mm-hmm. that first that first LP, man, wow! Like oh, I, I just can't imagine like overlooking that. Well, I, think he <laughs> and man, I don't think it. he overlooked it. Yeah, exactly. To be fair, I'm I'm that's my projection, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the Johnny Thunders telling him he likes his voice was a great anecdote too. Yeah, Johnny, that, that's an amazing story. The Lou Reed being kind of creepy. Yeah, but he said he said that his encounter was okay. He yeah, said it was, it was other people that. Well, no, he was saying definitely creepy shit to his girlfriend. Oh, sorry, yes, that is correct. <laughs> but, Fair enough. But but he he also was like he was a perfect gentleman at the same time. I'm like, yeah, I don't think he was asking <laughs> to eat you though. <laughs> yeah that was interesting and the yeah giving the arm out i thought that was pretty clever pretty awesome um, but yeah i'm trying to think of what else here vengeance records okay so there, let's this is my other question so vengeance mm-hmm. trying to find an entry did all they release is the only one stuff or did he put out whoa mike kelly has a solo record i'm just looking up well, there you go which has never been sold on the resource <laughs> another one dude here's one of those things okay here's a record never been sold uh there's a listing for it no one has it and no one wants it <laughs> so i'm trying to find more about vengeance records here the only things i can seem to find uh i'm guessing there's more that just hasn't been put up because there's only the Lovers of Today single that's been put up and the Silent Night Baby's Got a Gun uh, whatever, Peter Perrette and the Only Ones from 83 which is a 7-inch. So there's more that he put out, no? No, I think that's it. Really? It's just the two? Yeah, because I, okay. I think that was the thing. They put out the single, it did so well and they got swallowed up in that signing frenzy. And the weird thing is, though, the second one is 83, so it's clearly, yeah, I get what you mean. So that's when they got chewed out and spit out already by the, by the machine. Yeah. I like, too, that it doesn't, like, at least by the looks of this, I'm going to look at the other side, it doesn't really have a logo, which is kind of sick. Even even Serpentine Shines, Shine is like, even Serpent's Shine, sorry, is like one of the greatest albums ever. I got to get a copy of this on vinyl because it's like, (laughs) yeah, all of these, I clearly have to step my game up for the only ones because it's quite good. But, um, this is the one Jonah hit me to and it's like, damn, this is one of the, one of the all time greats. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. This list has new wave. Yeah. Is it, is it more power pop than new wave or is it, is it an outright? I don't know what you'd even describe it as like, the closest thing to them in a, on that record especially is like this is what the um this is to me what the violent femmes would sound like if they were british 
and and not like American like theater kids. Like if they were like yes. British hero people with heroin problems. <laughs> See, that sounds amazing to me. Yeah. Dude, it sounds amazing when you hear it. Like his voice reminds me oh it's it's so good on that record and like the songs are so catchy and the choruses are like all there. It's it's yeah, they're they're a great band. And this this record is this is the one, once again, credit to Jonah. Jonah was like, this is the record to check out. Nice. The uh, They did a Peel session, too. Nice. Yeah, they had their moment, From man. Like 89. Yeah. I think that just when huh. it came out in 89, because I think that it was recorded back in... Well, yeah, it was probably before, but the it released in 89, pardon me, exactly. Uh, I'm just trying to find when it was... What does it say? I think that it, that's also on various streaming services, and I think it's like 79. Oh, 77 yeah. to 80. There we go. Nice. So, I think that but was yeah, like when they kind of had their run in, in the major label system. Gotcha. And that's when all... Yeah, that would make sense when that would be happening. It wouldn't make as much sense to me that they did Appeal Session 89. Not that they wouldn't have, but that it would be as whatever prominently featured. Mm-hmm. Unless they were doing the old renditions of stuff or whatever, but um, yeah, crazy. I don't. I, I feel bad that I don't know more about this band, but I like that first LP. I got to hear the second one. Um, yeah, the second and the third. The sorry, the second, the third one is the one that I think is is uh, incredible. Even Serpentine, even Serpent Shine. That's the second one listed here. Well, because there's also so the only one self-titled. Yeah. And then there's so there's two, and then there's special Baby's got a view. gun is the third one. It's listing Baby's got a gun is the third one. The the self titled seventy eight, even Serpent Shine seventy nine and eighty is listed as Baby's got a gun, album wise. And there's also special view in seventy nine, right? So uh, I don't see it here, but I I'll take your word. I don't know. Special I'm going view. by the resource right now. Special view. What is special view? That's me. Is that just like no? That's special view is a comp. It's oh, from seventy nine. Yeah, that's the comp. Yeah. Sorry, that's the one that I had on vinyl as a kid. Nice. Um, yeah, cool, cool looking record. Yeah, it was definitely that was like it, that was almost like a dollar bin record. Like that must have been, you know, like another girl, another planet must have been enough of a hit locally that gotcha. You know, you would find that record around. <laughs> It's just funny that they release a comp in 79. Oh, shit, it's, it was the first two records. That's why all those songs are so familiar. Okay. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, why would the comp come out when it's in between that first run? Like, it just seems very strange. Yeah. Because it's, like, it's literally the first record, it's, it's the year after, and it's the same year technically as that second LP. So unless they just had poor pressing, I don't know. That's just or weird. getting into America, maybe the first one's only really available in the UK at first. And yeah, could be. It's major labels, right? Like they're so fucking. <laughs> yeah, true. Fair enough. Like here they have this amazing band, and it and they just can't sell it. Yeah. Um, yeah, crazy. But yeah, so that's the comp. So in orders of LPs, the first three are self-titled, even Serpent Shine, and the Baby's Got a Gun. Then remains in '84. So there's a gap. Everything's a year, and then there's a gap of four years into '80. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, '80 80, '84. There's a gap, which I'm assuming is the uh, some rugged years of of hard living, is my guess. 
Yeah, he kind of alludes to it, obviously, on the episode, but he locked himself away and was was cut off from the world for for a number of years. And uh, and that, that's when he talks about you know missing Johnny Thunders when Johnny Thunders came and tried to see him. Hmm. Um, a, a real sort of sad, you know, I think thing for him to reflect on. Um, and, and certainly like amazing triumph that he's kind of come back from that stuff and come back, you know, time and time again. Yeah. It's, I'm curious to hear the newest stuff too. You mentioned it on the show. I gotta, I'm curious to hear where he's, what he's doing now. Well, luckily Chris, there's a playlist that you can check out that is over All there right. on Spotify that, uh, I put together and I, uh, put a, uh, one of his new songs on it and it's, it's there we fantastic. Go. I, I teed you up perfect for that. There you go. I know. It was like you, it's like we rehearsed this. <laughs> it is, but the funny thing is we didn't rehearse that. We go on, yeah. This, so we definitely. For, to break the fourth wall there, yeah. We have way too much shit talking yeah. to do before we get on air. <laughs> not even that. Just just in general. <laughs> There's not enough minutes in the in the day, as they say. Or hours, pardon yeah, me. Absolutely. Um, so I guess, uh, should we get on to another point? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm trying to think of which one to go off here. Um, Maxis, I don't know. You've got one go. I don't. Uh, I'm bad. I tried to do the Vengeance one. It didn't really go many places because only two singles. I thought they might well, have done more records. Have you actually? Do you have your that first seven inch? For which the only ones? Yeah, the only ones. The very first one. No, I don't. I don't have any of these today, records. No. It's fucking no. so awesome. In like yeah. Think about a time when you could sell like twenty thousand copies of a self-release seven-inch for a first-time <laughs> band. That that was amazing, by the way. That was one of my favorite parts of the interview when, when you asked him about like if he knew how much they pressed, and he said that, and you were just like, like you could hear the total like baffled, like like gasp in your voice of like what, Dude. like. Because <laughs> you're, well, I can't remember which record was it. That one, because you were like, yeah, it used to one. show up in here. Yeah, <laughs> that that made me laugh, and it also at the same time made me think like, okay, there's twenty thousand. All right, I should be able to get that. That's why it's an average, whatever, ten dollar record. That's price. why it gets one and a half stars or two and a half stars for rarity in the Bible. Yeah. Certainly not quality, because that <laughs> that single is is awesome. Like, it's it's amazing. Like, I don't know, like that period to me is is awesome because punk open the door for a lot of people to kind of like do different things with music that they weren't accepted for. Like he talks about how much rejection he faced with England's glory and punk blew down the music industry for punk rock bands or not even punk rock bands, anything, anything that could be remotely connected to punk rock could come crawling in. Yeah, I thought that was an apt point as well. You, you, I think it was you that summarized like whatever music in the hands of the artists you said yeah, or something. Yeah, I think yeah, like that. I do. That's right. Exactly. Means of production. Pardon me. The um, yeah, I think it's it's weird though because I still think, unfortunately, in his case, I mean, clearly he had a career, which is it's good, but it still seems like it should have been a bigger deal, right? Like it's mm-hmm. unfortunate to see how history doesn't. You know, for whatever reason, it doesn't reflect kindly in some people for whatever reason or another. But, um, like, I mean, this group, from what I heard, especially that those early records, I'm shocked this isn't like, you know, 
like again, I hadn't heard of this until recently. Until well, I heard the song, I didn't realize what it was. I'd heard it in passing before that main single, whatever, another girl, another planet. But um, like that LP, well, either of these first two LPs are, or LPs I should have definitely known about. I'm just kind of shocked I never knew, I never even heard them. Yeah, like it's it's one of those things where you know they just never found that audience. Like they never got connected to the right audience, which is crazy because they're just so good. It just seems like yeah. it would have been a slam dunk, but it's you know thank you know they're lucky. Peter's lucky that he's from England, where there's like labels like Domino, and there's you know like kind of a music press that goes back and allows artists to kind of be rediscovered. You know, like there we have there's artists like you know maybe not on this level of songwriting, but probably that have been lost because. They're just, you know, not from a place that has that kind of music press, which goes back and rediscovers, you know, like no one's fucking ever going to write about M blanket. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I think that's, a, I don't know. I think it's an important point. I still think though, like, uh, given even that hotbed of what was happening and clearly again, there are LPs and there's like a clear lineage of things that he's done, but I still, I'm still just amazed that it's not. And again, this just could be on me being lost in the scenario of not being terribly familiar with it until recently. But again, I just I'm shocked that this LP, especially the first one, isn't one that was one of my these are these marquee LPs that I would have known about or should have had already. It just seems it's one of those ones that you should have in the, in like the you know the top twenty things that you you have that are punk related or whatever. Yeah, well, I think it, it is for as far as LPs. Pardon yeah. me, LPs. Well, I think it is for some people, you know, but I think that's, it's, it's just all depends on like, if you're lucky enough to have the people around you that are like hipping you to the right stuff. Yeah, true. That is true. Um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll talk to that. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, but yeah, let's go, you know, like it's, it's funny to think that, you know, this is a, this is like, just like another one of those bands that's like it could have been a radically different career for them if people in the band had been able to or or just hadn't become you know victims of drugs and kind of like the party yeah and i guess that's a great segue off the point that we were just discussing which perhaps leads to some of that um but if you look at the amount of other groups that also did suffer in the same circumstance yet were including the clash and the sex pistols. Uh, you know, it's interesting that the bands that, you know, survived that and didn't in a way commercially or whatever, or legacy wise, uh, as opposed to some others. Like, Like, I don't, yeah, the bands. Well, like, cause I think that's the thing is like clash, they were on that zeitgeist. They were more part of the zeitgeist. Like the only ones were kind of just out of step with what was happening. Like they were a little too old as, as you kind of said. Yeah, fair enough. But, um, I'm just like, I'm just trying to think of bands of the era. Like even thinking of the dolls, it's like, yep. And Johnny thunders, obviously. And yeah, I don't know. Like it's, that whole thing isn't isn't my world to the point where I don't even know how to discuss it. But yeah, like it's it is kind of unfortunate for sure. I don't know if that's I would lead uh, I would say that was the sole reason that 
perhaps their career didn't become what it should have been. But uh, yeah, it's definitely not. I don't know. It's just a bummer. It's a bummer. It's definitely a bummer. It's like it's one of those things though that you know makes like you know the kind of like work of being a music nerd so awesome is that you always get to find this great stuff out there where you're like, how did this not catch on? Like, how am I the only, you know, not the only one, obviously, but like, how am I like, <laughs> how am I one of the few people that's so freaked out about this? Like, you know, like why I can't be the only one that, that thinks, you know, this is one of the greatest things in the world. And then you meet other people that do too. And you're like, Oh, you get it. Like, you know, <laughs> You know, like the people that have been super excited about this episode have, have, that's what has me so stoked. Like I'm really, you know, and I know compared to like Jack Black and, and, and compared to like John Reese, even like it's, you know, it's a little bit more obscure, but you know, like John Worcester was super excited about it. Like the people that hit me up to be like, yo, I'm really into this are like, you know, the music nerds, the people that have, have put in the work to find out about this kind of stuff. Well, yeah, I think that's the bread and butter of, well, that that's the way you are personally, and I'm I'm aware of that, and I would say I'm that way too, not to the level you are, but your show, yeah, is testament to it. I, absolutely, I think that's, you know, well, footnotes alone kind of speaks to the <laughs> idea of it in title, but yeah, um, I think what I, what I like is that you get into something and then you eventually it has one act, and then the the latter acts are. You know, so or you know, I, I make it akin to like getting into like whatever, doing some kind of form of education where you have your like fundamentals, and then as you go on, you start to parse through you know whatever deeper levels of it. I f- I feel like the the music nerd game is is that's what you do, mm-hmm. and as you age, if you don't give up on it, that's this is what you get into. Like this is for better or worse, <laughs> hopefully better. Uh, this is what you kind of become. You know, you want you want to peel back those layers and find out whatever all the things you can and so this even like again this is something that i'm happy to be uh hipped to on your behalf because if you wouldn't have done this episode i don't know when i would have gotten to this yeah well the same here. honestly like, i like yeah if it wasn't for jonah a few years ago on a fucked up tour being like have you ever heard this the second record by the only ones and i'm like no like you know it's it's that's kind of what it takes, right? Like it takes friends telling you about stuff, especially now where there's just like so much shit out there, right? Like just, you're just inundated by yep. records. Chris, I'm just saw something on the internet that's melting my fucking mind. You know, the glory <laughs> stomper seven inch, like the first one from 1993 goes for like hundreds, like a hundred dollars. I was not aware of that, but okay. <laughs> Where did you see this? On the, on the resource. <laughs> yeah, you're just lost in the resource. I'm like lost in the resource. Sorry, uh, like are they not? They're not the Canadian band you're talking about, right? Yeah, the Aren't one they? with, with um, well, what's his name from uh, from um, uh, uh, Ryan Nine. He was in that band. I never knew that. Okay, but uh, yeah, I I don't know all the records. I think they. They do they not have a split with the Templars? I think they do. I might have that. Oh, do they have a split with the Templars? They do. Yeah, they do. From '96, oh, and I do own it. But uh, yeah. Wow. What was the record you said? The first one goes for a lot of money. Yeah, this first one's uh, on Blue is like. It's a double seven inch. Yeah. Wow. Ninety eight dollars. 
I should have picked wow. up more copies of this when I had the chance. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yeah, you really do Aside. rely on someone hipping you to these things and letting you know about like these bands and, and where to get them and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, it's now that we have access to everything and we can hear all this stuff all the time, you know, you, you rely on your friends more to help you sift through it all. Well, I will say as well, it's funny that you mentioned Jonah and your, your, well, we mentioned Jonah a, a fair bit on the show cause he's a lovely, lovely he human, is, he is but, one of our favorites. Uh, but, uh, the I will say from from uh, an outside like not outside but like having experienced you two g- going record shopping with you two it is quite the experience. It's actually <laughs> really really uh, it's it's really great because you two are always bouncing things off one another. Like as far as like being bandmates, I think you're better. You're even better like record collecting pals than you are bandmates even i would argue it's well, a pretty jonah, interesting thing jonah left the record collecting he used to be my guy for this but then he's kind of like taking a step back from it i think he realized that you know following me to a early <laughs> uh you know poor uh, house situation <laughs> was not not the thing to do <laughs> Gotcha. But I just for for people that aren't familiar for the for those that uh, don't get that opportunity, or perhaps if you know fucked up or some band containing you both are on the road somewhere and you happen to be in a record store with the two of them, it's quite the experience that I recommend. Uh, you know, try, trying to at least eavesdrop on what's going on. It's uh, it's quite interesting. That'll be a Patreon perk. There you go. <laughs> yep. Um. Uh, so I guess let's, uh, move on to another point. Well, there's two things I want to definitely talk to. One is very quick. Sure. One is the line that there isn't enough room for one to read in the music industry is really awesome and hilarious. I think it's, it's awesome in a complimentary way as the way I took it at first, but hearing it obviously as it's told in the story is super funny, but, uh, yeah. And it's, uh, it's hard to argue. Um, so that was my, was my one thing I wanted to make sure we at least discussed on the show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, what was the other thing I was going to touch on here was the lyrics. Okay. This isn't really related specifically to him, although obviously he's a, is a great lyricist, but, um, lyrics as being paramount to music, punk related music, no less. I'm curious your thoughts on that because I never really discussed. I mean, we've, we had the propaganda debates which leads me to think that lyrics are immensely important in your world in terms of of being the focal and of course you as a front person and lyricist not always but you know here and there Mm -hmm. what uh what is your i've never discussed that with you we've never had that talk before yeah like i've always kind of um i've always felt that i can't get into instrumental music you know, like I always, I always think you need to have words. Like that's my entry point for music. Like that's why I've always, you know, I, that's why I think I like rap music so much is that there is, you know, obviously wordplay is paramount, you know, and that's why I like punk music because people are singing about something, you know, and, and, and you're, you can't get away with just like fucking up. No, I agree. I just I'm curious on the level of I feel that this kind of uh, you know aggressive music is a very visceral thing, which isn't always necessarily like uh 
not not always, but can be both, but not always an intellectual thing, so to speak. Not that all lyrics are intellectual or have to be, but mm-hmm. um, specifically, if I were to cite like a group like the Stooges, right, where actually I believe it's even uh, Iggy recounts in like that documentary that came out or whatever. What the hell is that called? The Stooges one that came out uh, yeah, a year ago or two. Yeah. We should look this up. Anyway, he recalls in that he, he was talking about... We'll look about up the most minor th- record detail, yet we won't look up the name of the Stooges <laughs> documentary. We're like, oh, fuck that. No, it's not on, it's not on it's the resource. Me, it's, called, it's called Give Me Danger. There we go. Uh, it's called Give Me Danger, directed by Jim Jarmusch, of course. Anyway, uh, came out in 2016. Oh, my, my former bandmate, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim Sharmouche, sure. Uh, so anyway, didn't uh, he talk to me when he was in Toronto that. for that premiere. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> like waiting in. Hey, Jim, um, Jim, Jim. Well, see you, see you, buddy. No, no, no. <laughs> um, was gonna say, but Iggy talks about writing lyrics and basically how he's he wrote them as simply as possible. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of like no fun is a great example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, all of a lot of his lyrics actually for that group in specific are, but. Um, so the idea, like the sonic wall, being in that band perhaps more important than 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 the lyrical wall or whatever, but somehow it marries perfectly, of course, in that instance. But anyway, I'm being uh, I don't know a bit uh, whatever, ranting about it. But I was just always curious as a someone who has to front a group, what your thoughts were on that? Because I, mean, I, I don't know what mine are. I like I I I you know I we've been talking about seven seconds off the top of the show. Like part of the reason I love them is because of those lyrics, you know, and they're not necessarily the most complex lyrics of all time, you know, but at the same time they convey something. And I would say the same about Iggy. Like he might be writing simple songs, but like they convey emotions in their simplicity that, you know, most pop music never conveys to me. And in most instrumental music, I don't really feel I get an entry point to have that conveyed to me. Fair enough. Yeah, I think that's well stated. You answered that perfectly succinctly. <laughs> well, I tell you, this is uh, it's my fucking job, Chris. There you go. Yeah, you're I'm a pro. Out here writing these lyrics, putting pen to paper, <laughs> getting it. Getting you got it there. you got bars. You got bars. I got, I got some bars. I got a couple bars. Yeah. <laughs> Not hit him up, but I got I got some bars. Um, and uh, point. Uh, I guess my or point. Or not. Um, I guess like I want to talk about like the idea of playing with uh, Johnny Thunders, you know, or I think actually also seeing Sex Pistols in '75. I think that would be, you know, or '76, '75. You would '75. It says here, yeah, yeah, which would have been, man. What a time to see that band. I don't think, uh, well, a couple things stood out to me when he was discussing the idea, especially in contrast to The Clash, which is always the debate on this show, of course. But um, he talks about the Sex Pistols being like an exciting thing and he couldn't, like, it was like a, a, you know, whatever, a bit outlandish, but it was something that was like exciting, whereas The Clash was kind of a train wreck as he, I'm, I'm putting words in his mouth, but initially. Um, I can't even, I can't imagine seeing that without a frame of reference what the Sex Pistols must have been like in that in that year. Like, you know, weird from, from his perspective, though, because I do think he would be one of these unique people that was already doing something that was mm-hmm. as important. You know what I mean? So 
you hear stories of people who weren't and then they started you know bands or whatever and then that that changed everything but it was funny hearing it from his perspective of someone who was already like at least somewhat accomplished and he didn't like he certainly seemed complimentary but he didn't seem as uh whatever it didn't seem to from my impression that he was as blown away as the people seem to say not that he didn't you know want to say that it was like a whatever an important gig i don't know if you got that impression talking to him yeah like i i definitely but i found even he was blown away by it like you know it seems like it was so different like what they were doing was so threatening and so in your face that you know, like, he, even he, you know, couldn't help but be, like, kind of taken aback by it. Yeah, like, I, well, I don't know, like, what came before that that would have, you know, for a lot of people that would have even been close, there was some great, you know, even if you were to talk about, like, The Who or something, like, they had moments of, you know, breaking their stuff or whatever, but it, it's a different kind of, like, I don't know rebellion or however you oh, want to say it, it. It's threatening on a different level, you know? Like exactly, it, It's yeah. really scary. Like, there's nothing, you know, I would say, like, short of, you know, the, uh, you know, that when Odd Future first happened, you know, it was mm. kind of, it seemed like it was kind of the same sort of thing for a second. You know, in a different world, yeah, completely in a different sort of thing, but, like, at the same time, <laughs> yes. people were scared. I like, get, you know? Yeah, I suppose I don't. I didn't tune in as much to see the as far as like people's visceral reaction to it. But yeah, they definitely had like something about them, from what I could tell. Mm-hmm. Not being an enormous fan, um, but yeah, like I don't know. I, I how do you, for me it, clearly, like other records we've discussed in this show. For me, their whatever that first LP. And sort of their whole thing, I, I enjoy more and more with age, and I think it's just kind of. I'm always intrigued by people that do something so unbelievably, um, like important or whatever, when they're younger, mm-hmm. and the idea that sort of they live the rest of their lives, perhaps not. And again, this isn't like a this isn't throwing shade. It's just that you know, did any of the members of the Sex Pistols do anything as important as Nevermind the Bullocks? Well, no, but and you I don't can't. think it, Right? Like, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, that's, it's, I always marvel at these situations of what that must be like to be oh, in a yeah. person's shoes like that. And it's not to say that they haven't done, they, they, you know, especially John Lydon, of course, did other very important things, but, you know, I can't imagine being, you know, like that's your you know, more or less your sort of first go and it's like, you know, a grand slam. It just, I, I always marvel at when that happens. I don't, uh, you know, I don't even know how, like, I, I don't think I would, I think it would be a really difficult thing. I think I would crumble under that personally. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, it, it certainly is like, you know, like to peak, to know you've peaked at an early mm-hmm. age is, is nuts, you know, like to, but like those guys, I would also say, Steve Jones and Paul Cook, like the professional stuff, is nothing to to scoff at, you know. And and uh, like the Lightning Raiders, I fucking love the Lightning Raiders. But like, yeah, you can't do anything bigger than Nevermind the Bullocks. Like, it's it's a revolution. I agree, and so it's it's hard to even you know what is like. I don't even know what there is to say anymore about it. Like, it's just that and them in that era. I just think are. 
you know, in a certain regard, like untouchable. It's not really, I don't even know how to, to say other than it's like, it's perfection. <laughs> it's literal perfection. There's nothing else to, there's no other word for me to, to talk about that. It would have been, it would have been really exciting to be there and to feel that, like that energy at that time, I think. Oh, for sure. That like things were just giving way underneath you. Well, and I'm I'm like extremely jealous of people who you know lived through that and got to see it. You know what I mean? I like, you know, I don't know if I'll be recounting that. You know, this kind of I don't think anything is monumental in like you know (laughs) thirty years. I would hope, but you know, it's going to be hard to beat like something like that or something as big as you know whatever other monumental musical I, thing that's happened. Yeah, I don't think music has to be that big anymore, though, right? Like, it's it's weird. Like, we're at a point now where, you know, obviously music's super fucking important, you know, and it will always be important, and it will always have a place, but, like, specifically rock and roll serving the purpose of disrupting the mainstream and disrupting the norm in the way the Sex Pistols kind of had to, it, it, I don't think it needs to anymore, you know? Like... You can disrupt the norm, and you have access to things that are disrupting the norm in a way that you don't need someone to shock you with, like, ridiculous sort of juvenile shock tactics. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's perfectly stated, too. I, I think the landscape has changed so much because it's, you know, of things like we're discussing, like, altered everything to the point where it allowed space for all of these other things to come in and i think now we are the uh whatever we're the children of that so it's hard to even quantify before that you know what i mean yeah and that that's what i mean to say so like yeah it's it's the only thing i was and i didn't think you were going to say this nor do i think you believe this but the only thing that i ever get a little uh frustrated hearing is this idea like and you, I just it just was like in my head this came up? It was the idea I keep hearing like like is rock music dead? You know is is mm-hmm. like the guitar dead? And like that kind of bothers me a little bit because I you know I'm not I don't just listen to that kind of music, but the idea that any music is like dead dead is just so absurd to me. And the idea that there's no use for like you know agitated guitar music in the context of the world ever anymore for certain journalists, I think it's just the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. But not that that's what you were saying. But um, No, yeah. those journalists so, are like, you know, all of us now exist in the exact same pool where we're just trying to get people's attention and get people to click on it. You know, and I'm playing the exact <laughs> sure. same game that that journalist that says rock and roll music doesn't matter anymore when I'm like championing bands that no one's cared about or talked about in like 25 years, you know, like we're all playing the same game. We're just trying to get people to click on it. And so, yeah, like it's, you know, nothing matters anymore and everything matters now because, you know, like you're as important as the person that's out there randomly searching around this information sewage, like dump, (laughs) <laughs> you know, yep. like, you know, as important as that person finds what you're doing is as important as what you're doing is. Yes. Yep. <clears throat> Again, well stated. People like that. You're on a, you're on a fine hour here at the, this late hour. You're really, it's coming together. Your Sleep thoughts deprivation are, are... and THC, Chris. That's what I'm running on right now, buddy. <laughs> a little bit of <laughs> caffeine. <laughs> 
It, you, you've got a good combo going on. I'm hitting my peak zone. <laughs> nice, yeah. Um, I don't know what other point to touch on. Do you have anything that you want to go on? Um, we could go on a lot more. Um, I guess, like I alluded to the beginning, but allegedly uh, Pete uh, Doherty and I guess Peter's uh, son were playing in a band together at one point. And, oh, wow. Uh, certain uh, artifacts, uh, memorabilia from Peter went missing and uh, wow. allegedly showed up in the possession of someone in that band, allegedly. Uh, wow. But yeah, so there's, uh, you know, not, not necessarily the greatest end, but Pete uh, Doherty was a huge fan, I guess, of, of the only ones for a while. Well, you can hear it. I mean, it's yeah. very obvious. I think he has enough like you can definitely hear it to the point where I'm sure people who like um Peter definitely feel Pret that is sorry uh feel you know maybe uh, aggrieved at it being a little bit too AP or something but um for me I still think it has enough of its own space to exist his thing cuz I enjoy his thing but mm-hmm. uh but yeah you can definitely hear the <laughs> where it comes from so to speak yeah, like I think it's you know it, it, one of those people though that I think has had influence on a lot of people, but maybe that's the one who wears it the most on their sleeve. Yes, very well stated. Yep. In the same way that uh, you know Pete wore his love of Lou Reed very much on his sleeve in in Peter. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he was uh, in England's Glory and and as well in the only one. So you know, it's kind of carrying on a proud tradition. <laughs> true um, I think that archetype will always exist in one form or another it'll manifest that's the, the lineage in which will always exist I, I think, hope not because you know, I think there's like something kind of really tragic at that core of that archetype there is you're right but I, I, so far it's yet to not exist is my argument <laughs> I think nowadays sadly it's the archetype you know as far as if you're looking at like a pop music landscape it's a bit different in terms of you know, uh, you know the archetypes, but they're all very similar. There's all those those sort of tragic archetypes. They're not as prolific, in my opinion, as someone like a a Lou Reed or you know whatever. But um, sadly, I don't know what it is about the arts or music or whatever you want to say. It's it's not killed that archetype off, and uh, I argue that it probably won't. I wonder sadly. If people's changing opinions towards or changing opinions of drugs, and if we have a changing of sort of the stigma that we place on drug users, uh, if it would change the art that eventually starts coming out. Like you'll have, hmm. you you won't have the tortured, you know, and this is a terrible turn of phrase, but like that, that, that you know, that sort of uh, tragic, junky glamour. You know? Gotcha, yeah, yeah. Type well, thing. that, yeah. I think that's a, this is a very, we're getting into some lofty, thoughts here but yeah i see chris you know <laughs> get on my level son it, <laughs> it, that is an interesting thought i don't know my initial feeling on that is that i think it would still exist well i don't think it's ever going to go away that's my initial thought on it and second is even let's hypothetically say the archetype somehow disappeared in terms of being like romanticized i still think there is something within the human condition that wants to 
wants that sort of uh, whatever internal struggle to be, um, you know, to be exposed like artistically. That, that therefore that's why it won't ever go away. Yeah. There's something in the human condition that needs it, if you will. So that's my thought, but I could be wrong. Well, only time will tell, Chris. <laughs> yep. Uh, I think should that wrap it for tonight. I think we're good. I think we're talking about like we're gonna start talking about weird stuff if we if we yeah, continue. It's gonna get real weird. It's gonna get real weird. Uh, yeah. Speaking of weird, uh, next week on the show, it's a weird one. It's Jack Black uh, from the band Probot on the secret track on the record that they put out. He plays in another first group. credit. Yeah. Yeah. He plays in another group called Tenacious D. He did backing vocals on the Vandals 2000 rec- released record. And, uh, <laughs> I love that these are the credits you list first. It's so good. Uh, but he also has been in Jumanji too, as my eldest yep. Holden will be very quick to tell you. Uh, and he played, <laughs> he was on Yo Gabba Gabba as my younger children will be very quick to tell you. He was also the voice of Kung Fu Panda. Um, he was yep. in high fidelity. He has been in a lot of shit. Um, and he's someone that uh, initially uh, kind of lied to me, Chris. <laughs> I was just thinking of how funny it is, although this is for next week's, but just to parse this very quickly, how funny it is that he um, plays the record store guy archetype in that movie. I'd forgotten that and how funny that is in reference to the actual reality of that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You didn't realize that he was talking to a guy who's lived his life trying to be that dude that he played in high fidelity. <laughs> it's just very funny. Like I never thought of that, that context. <laughs> that is my, that is my high benchmark for humanity. His character in that movie. <laughs> nice. Um, but no, he, uh, yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's a fun episode. There's a lot of crazy shit in it. And it's like, I don't know. Like I lay my case out pretty good that he was indeed a punk rocker. He's someone that told me he wasn't <laughs> ever into punk. Uh, I said to him, I've got evidence to prove that you were kind of into punk. And he goes, all right, you caught me. And then we go through some of the evidence. I don't get to all of the evidence. Um, and there's room for a part two as a spoiler. Uh, but it is, it's pretty fucking fun. It's pretty fun to hear him talk about it. I'm anticipating it. Sure. Um, yeah, we talk about, uh, you know, also the fact that Tenacious D, one of the greatest punk rock supergroups of all time. (laughs) <laughs> okay, Which, I don't know their lineups, but okay. Well, we're, if we're going with just the current lineup, this is next week content. By the way, this well, is next yeah, week content. You're right, you're right. But I'm just gonna say as a as a, a precursor, as a teaser, uh, if you go with the, the first record lineup, Steve McDonald on bass, Red Cross, okay, off, yep. you know, uh, previous guest, Sparks, yeah, yep. one of the greatest guests ever on the history of the show. By far. Um, and one of my favorite people in the world. Also on drums, Mr. Dave Grohl, you know, of... of he's on the Tenacious D records, really? Okay, yeah, he's I a drummer. And on guitar, right. Warren Fitzgerald from the Vandals. Well, there you go, you're right. Yeah, there's a lot. I have a, a funny little tidbit to, to report here as I'm just going through... Uh, our, our, uh, the things I pull up when we're discussing, you brought up that glory stompers record, yeah. by the way, earlier on disturbance records from 93. Uh, you were mentioning the episode next week, uh, the second song 
on the <laughs> third third side. Anyway, C2 it's listed as. Song titled Visual Discrimination. How Whoa. about that? Anyway. Well, yeah, that's yep. the other thing that, uh, you know, I'm going to post this yeah, on social media, but you got to look this yeah. up, everyone. There is a photo on the internet. If you search Jack Black moshing punk show, this photo will pop up from Reddit that is, I believe, and it's, and I, this is what we go with, it's from a visual discrimination show in Reseda, California in 1989, and it's Jack Black moshing in the pit. Uh, <laughs> allegedly. Nice. And he and I go through this photo with each other next week on the show. <laughs> Sweet. There's some there's All some good stuff next week. So that's gonna be it for teasing it, but I I promise you there's gonna be some good stuff. And I found some cool cool archival uh stuff from when we were on tour with Tenacious D all those years ago. Well there you go, nice. So all that will be coming out in the next weeks or so. You can find that on social media on at Left for Damien on various platforms. You can also email me over here at turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. Find us at Facebook at Turned Out of Punk. Thank you to Tristan Abraham, my brother, show producer, kind of guest booker, and, you know, all-around swell guy. Love you, Tristan. Um, you can send him a thank you message on Facebook if you enjoy any of these episodes because I assure you he's the guy chasing down these guests these days for the most part. I'm still chasing down the odd one. But he, he is the one who's really on top of it for the most part. Uh, you can also find us on Tumblr, which is uh, Tumblr dot, or com, And subscribe to this and write a review and rate it on iTunes. And Chris, how do they reach us here on the show? We can be reached at turnoutapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. All right. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week.